Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go-to source for straight-up business advice. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, and on today's episode, I'm excited to share with you the founder of mine and likely yours, new favorite toothpaste. This is an incredible startup story and one of the reasons why I love what I do, especially getting to speak to such incredible founders and bring their stories and lessons to you guys on this podcast. And Prue is the founder of Rock Naturals, so it is Australia's first natural and good for the environment, sustainable toothpaste brand, uh, which has got lots of different reiterations and expansions that are going to come. And I'm really excited for, for this to grow and expand. But an incredible story in that Prue was pregnant and started looking for a natural toothpaste uh, that also had a biodegradable or good for the environment packaging. Uh, and when she couldn't find it, <laughs> being the entrepreneur and the hustler that she is, set out to create it for herself. So we dive into that story because I know what it's like to be like, yeah, great, we all have ideas, but like how do you actually get started and and where do you start and how do you have the courage to do that and to back yourself, especially because she's not from that particular industry nor has she created a product to the scale before as well. So it's an incredible story of a self-funded business and I can now say, which wasn't live in the podcast but we are officially allowed to say it, is that Rock Naturals has just landed their first deal with a major stockist here in Australia and it is with Coles Stores. So she'll be putting her three uh, toothpaste products into Coles Stores I think there's about 830 plus stores nationwide, which is incredible. So we talk about how she went through a pandemic as a new mom and A, came up with the idea, made it a reality, did all of the research to develop something that hadn't been done before and then obviously landed on the success that she is celebrating today, which is a huge major stockist around Australia An incredible story, Prue is a hustler and gives lots of insights into being a mum and running a business, as well as the fear of self-funding and the risks that she had to take, Um, and then the reflection of herself in the brand, which I think is so powerful and potent, especially if you want to be working in that sustainable space. Prue shares some incredible insights into how the brand is a reflection of the way that she was brought up, the way that she engages with her body and the wider environment and the impact that she has, um, as well as, you know, the look and the image and, and her personal brand as an individual. So lots of insights, a great conversation, incredible success story. So excited to see where this brand goes. Enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. And to celebrate this going live and the Rock Naturals team landing their huge Coles deal, we're going to be giving away their products. So the Rock Naturals team will be giving um, a, a gift pack of all of their toothpaste and some toothbrushes. We'll be throwing in a how to start a side hustle book as well. So head on over to Instagram, um, enjoy the episode and then come on over there for your chance to win your Rock Naturals product in your home. 
Hello and welcome to the podcast, Prue. Lovely to have you here. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. I actually um, have seen your brand from afar a number of times and have loved it and it's caught my eye and have recently experienced it and it is just as tasty and like well presented and easy to use which I think is really important for a toothpaste which can touch on that um as it as it looks online so congratulations thank you for creating what you've done um but yeah maybe we can kick off with you introducing yourself and your brand your business and where the idea came from yeah, sure. So I'm Prue. I'm the, the founder of Rock Naturals. Um, so Rock is natural and sustainable oral care. Um, when I um, was pregnant with my first child about two and a bit years ago, I was, I've always been really kind of conscious of what I put in my body and on my body, but was obviously more conscious um, during that period. And I switched from a, you know, like a chemical toothpaste, such as, you know, the, the mainstream ones to a, to a natural and then stood in the supermarket aisle looking for one that was also sustainable and there was nothing um and there's still nothing um and I kind of looked overseas and there there wasn't much around um so that's kind of where the idea kind of started from I was just like why is why is there nothing that's like kind of good for the body and good for the environment in this whole category considering that you know there's um you know every person in the world uses toothpaste twice a day um I just saw a massive problem with that in itself yeah, I, that's wild. It blows my mind that there's not a sustainable toothbrush, uh, toothpaste out there. It's yeah, well, yeah, well, we like, yeah, there's not. It's just, it's all goes to landfill. The way a toothpaste tube was traditionally made is um, it's got the plastic and then there's a layer of foil to give it that crinkle and then there's another right. layer of plastic. So it's it's pretty much, you know, just straight to landfill. Yeah, wild. I know I've seen, I've come across some brands who have done like um, toothpaste tablets and tried to do a few different yep. things that way. Um, but what I loved about your brand, and I always like to experience the product or business before I have the conversations because then I can actually say I stand behind it. <laughs> yep. Um, and I can say I stand behind this. And I was going to say that before in that um, things that I love about this, it's like, and I, I would be keen to hear some brands that maybe have inspired you in this space, but moving towards natural and sustainable, making it like it, it doesn't taste or look different. I mean, it actually looks better than other toothpaste, but the taste is great, which I always look for in a toothpaste. And the tube function is fabulous, which I really appreciate. Yeah. So, I mean, our, um, I guess our product experience going into this, like our idea was always that we wanted it to taste like a mainstream toothpaste. We wanted to perform like a mainstream toothpaste, but, um, and we wanted it to, you know, to foam like a mainstream toothpaste, but we wanted to have all the benefits of it then being good for you and good for the environment as well. And, and also look better on your bathroom sink. So um, that was, we, you know, we played around obviously in product development for ages um, but they were kind of always our key goals is to basically get someone to switch from a mainstream toothpaste, which, you know, can be pretty toxic for you, and that goes to landfill, and then switch to rock. And it, the sensory experience is exactly the same, but you're getting all the benefits of, of what rock can provide. And it reminds me of, you know, Who Gives a Crap and Thank You Water, which was some really early interviews that we did. And, yeah, that really stepping into that space of, like, make a better like competing with mainstream market too rather than trying to make people sacrifice you know some of those things that we are used to um in order to make this transition easy yeah and i 
I think, um, you know, we looked in, that's exactly the same as how we feel. Um, and when we looked into um, other products such as toothpaste tablets, which are a brilliant idea and we will definitely add them to the, the rock lineup, um, we just felt launching with that product at the same, it's quite a different experience, a toothpaste tablet to a toothpaste, and we just didn't feel for launch that um, we thought that that jump might be too far for a launch mm. product from someone to experience it. But I think that's one of the hardest things is, you know, all these new um new companies come out and are doing amazing thing is maintaining that product experience of, of a better, um, more sustainable products, but making sure it can mirror the experience of, you know, the mainstream, what everyone's used to. I love that. And I, I'm interested to hear like what that product development space was. And I think it, just to your point about what you launch with, because I do this with clients often is like, you know, being, yeah, making sure that it, it's not too much of a shift because then you have to create an education arm or, you know, a, a promotional marketing strategy to, you know, re-educating people. Whereas if, you know, if you do want to change behavior, how quickly, how, yeah, what does that look like? I think that's a really smart way to enter the market um, for those out there who might be looking to come in with something that is different, um, still making sure the customer is going to get on board with it. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for us, the research phase was really long and really in-depth um, and we ch- ch- tried a whole bunch of different options. Like I spoke to the toothpaste tablets. We looked into that for one of our launch products. Um, we also looked into organic toothpaste, um, but we found the um, consistency of the ones we were trying at the time were very egg yolkish, um, and it was yeah. kind of like brushing with, yeah, basically like an yeah. egg yolk, which was a bit like, it was like, a bit like oh, I don't, I don't like doing this. Um, so I think, you know, for us, it was, you know, making sure, you know, trying all the, the different trends or things that are happening out there that might be, you know, um, really that might hit home with our target market. But um, we always came back to, I guess, you know, keeping it pretty, um, keeping that experience really similar um, because it's the best way to, I guess, to get more people across the line, especially with toothpaste. It's such a sensory and personal experience you know obviously there's a lot of taste involved and it's in your mouth and the foaming so um for us it was always about trying to you know um, mirror like I said the more traditional brands but with all the benefits of the sustainability and the and the um the clean formulations yeah and it's like an everyday product too it's not like a sexy thing that you go you know shopping around for you kind of just want to grab it and chuck it in the in the basket you know and get on with it you know it's not something that you give too much attention to but if there is a quick and easy alternative which I'm excited to talk about because I know that you've gone from yeah startup phase through to soon to be launching in in Coles uh, Australia-wide yeah that's right yeah yeah which is incredible but let's let's start with the yeah that uh, how long were you in that product development research phase and then what were some of the first steps and how did you yeah get your get your funding and enter the market and then a bit a bit about your launch processes doing it independently to begin with yeah sure so I mean the idea started when um like I said I was pregnant with um and I was getting ready to have my second child and I knew I didn't want to go back into that corporate space where I'd kind of been working for the last 10 years um so the research phase you know, it started when my daughter Coco was born, which is, you know, she's two and a bit now. Um, fortunately, she's a great sleeper. So when she would sleep, I would just research everything about oral care and and manufacturing and best practices and formulations. Um, so it probably, I don't know, the research phase, it must have gone on for, I don't know, maybe six months, which doesn't seem like a lot, but um, 
I guess when you're committing a lot of time to it, um, yeah, it, it was a lot. And, you know, within that research phase too was, you know, finding manufacturers that align with our values and, you know, we manufacture in New Zealand and not China and things like that. Mm. Um, so I remember when she was three months, I flew to New Zealand just as COVID hit, um, just before kind of the borders shut down um, to meet my manufacturer in New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how we, how we got started, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and I love that because I think a lot of people who go to start products, and I come across this a lot with coaching clients, you know, it's this these ideas in their head, and then the action really starts in in just picking up the phone or, or Googling and, and researching because you kind of end up down these rabbit holes of like, you know, yeah, that's, would you say that's the best way to go about it once you're starting to, to get into wanting to produce or manufacture? Yeah, research phases so much. Like for me, I've been working in industry. Like if I'd worked, my previous job was working in the fitness industry. And, there, you know, there's not a lot of point of difference in some respects in some of those businesses. So I always wanted to create, a, if I was going up against the likes of Colgate and McLean's, I wanted to create a product that has had as many points of difference as possible, which is actually pretty easy when you're going up against these kind of more traditional categories. So I wanted it to be sustainable. I wanted to be environment enriched. I wanted to have all these nourishing ingredients, which all the current players didn't have. So then it was about researching those pillars um, and um, getting down to the, the depth of the research. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, we have a product, um, vitamin B12 mint and coconut oil, and that's based out of an academic study out of the U.S., um, showing that a B12 vitamin um, toothpaste can be an effective way to supplement um, B12 levels in vegans. So it's kind of about going down those complete rabbit holes, finding the academic research, then pulling it out and then, you know, talking to the manufacturer. I was like, this is what I want to do. What are the, you know, what are the barriers in terms of creating this? Because they were like, oh, we ha- you know, we haven't created this before. I was like, well, here's the academic research. It shows it's safe. Um, so, yeah, you definitely go down rabbit holes. Um, and a lot of them, you know, they're dead ends. Um, but that's all part of the process. Right. And I think at the times that I've been in that space, it's like you, you know, actually was even doing this. I'm, I'm trying to find new wheels for my car that I just purchased. <laughs> and, um, you know, you just, you get on the phone and, you know, you get a lot of like, nah, we don't, can't help you, don't this. And then one person will be like, oh, you talk to these guys, you know. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just like yeah, getting, doing that kind of grind work. How important would you say, because I know that we chatted to Laura from Nagnata who does ethical and sustainable clothing as well. And she, I mean, obviously pre-COVID when it was a lot easier, but how important is it, do you think, to have that face-to-face or relationship with your manufacturers and like, yeah, getting on a plane or a Zoom call or whatever you can do as close as you can get? Well, I, I didn't really have the chance to, to do it, to be honest, um, mm. because the business was really creating COVID. Like I said, I met my manufacturer in New Zealand just as the borders were shutting down. Um, and then um, interstate borders started shutting down as well. So there was, you know, other suppliers I wanted to meet in, you know, say Sydney when those borders were closed. So, um, you know, I, I know life would have been a lot easier if I could have met suppliers face-to-face. I think it's so important. I remember... Mm when um, Melbourne came out of one of the lockdowns, I had all these issues with boxes. It sounds so easy, right? To sort mm. out a box for your packaging. It's so complicated. Mm. Anyway, I went out um, to the box manufacturer just out of lockdown and sat down with him for like an hour and went through everything. And I felt like I just solved like months of headaches with him because we could be able to sit down. He could show me things 
Um, so yeah, face-to-face meetings is always my preference. Mm. And I'll, you know, now that we're coming out of this COVID time, I'd much prefer to jump on a flight and, you know, go to Sydney or wherever it might be and, you know, nut out what needs to be done rather than kind of emailing for weeks. Yeah. And it's, I think the difference too is like, yeah, that you can get more done in that face-to-face, especially if you're creating something like you did that hadn't been done before, you know, you get to build that rapport and that relationship and the trust as well and, and be hands-on with it. And then, yeah, I think it's relationships, you know, that people are more likely to, you know, move to your timelines or, you know, uh, recipes or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think for, um, you know, for, you know, people like me or, um, you know, people starting out, you know, often we're trying to open doors that haven't opened or trying to solve problems that people traditionally say, no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So kind of getting in front of these people um, and can always be a little bit more persuasive as well. You know, once you, yeah. you've met them, they're more likely to, you know, understand your vision and help you out and join you on the journey rather than just mm-hmm. another cold email they get in their inbox. Yeah. Hey, a quick question on that because I think it might be helpful for our listeners what do you what do you think about going if you know for you coming into the health industry producing a product um having not done it before and I know you know people might be starting fashion labels or whatever what's what's your take or advice on do you come in and kind of fake it till you make it or do you come in and be like uh I don't really know what I'm doing but this is my vision or you know I've done my research but like also you're the expert here like what what would your advice be there on that initial pitch or getting a manufacturer to take you seriously or, you know, building that rapport? Yeah, I think it's about um, definitely about your vision in terms of, you know, selling to them, this is what I want to do. But, I mean, our process all the way along has been like we, we know our strengths but we also know our weaknesses. So, um, you know, I'm not a dentist but it means that we consult with people that can give us that expert knowledge. So I think it's understanding your strengths and weaknesses and making sure that you're partnering with people who can provide you with, you know, that expert opinion if you don't, you know, say have some of that along the way. So, mm. I mean, we partner with a manufacturer, for example, who's done oral care for 30 years. Um, mm. I, you know, I'm not at no point was I creating formulations in my kitchen sink or anything mm. like that, um, which is totally fine to do. But, you know, I knew, you know, um, creating a toothpaste formulation, you know, wasn't in one of my um, my toolkits. So, I, you know, I went out and cre- um, created a partnership with someone who had years and years of experience behind mm. them. I love that because I think, you know, looking at your growth and how quickly you've done it, and especially during COVID, you know, I think that's obviously paid off because you're like, I've seen this gap. I'm going to head, I'm going to head the idea up and direct it, but I'm also going to bring a team along. And I think that's really good to hear that because I think people often think, you know, I've got to do it all. I've got to know it all or, you know, micromanage. And it's just like, your job is to lead the show. Yeah. I think there's something really nice in um, recognizing, um, not your, not your flaws, but recognizing where your strengths are and kind of owning that, you know, it's like, well, I'm not great at this, but that means I can find someone who is great at this to, to fill this gap where I need it. Mm. And I'm interested to hear, um, because I, I said to you earlier, I, I often get asked about how do you juggle, you know, mom, from mums, right? Whether yeah. I've had many clients over the years who have started businesses on maternity leave. And then I've had, uh, I, I have a lot of clients ongoing and people in our audience, obviously. I never feel like I can say anything to the parent juggle and finding time. And, and I've had some feedback over the years. I've been like, oh, it's nice to have your morning routine, but what have you got kids? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I would love to hear, you know, what, whether it, you know, that was just natural in you to go 
for such a huge goal in that time or how did you tips and how you went about it? Yeah, like I think, you know, Rock just started out as an idea on that leave. Um, and then, you know, I just researched the hell out of it. And, you know, the, you know, the more that we went on, um, it was like, I think this is a goer, you know. So and then then you kind of get excited about it. And then, you you know, we briefed in a creative agency and, and they presented back the branding. And then, you know, it's kind of a snowball effect. And all of a sudden you're launching, you know. Um, but in terms of managing it with um, being, you know, a mum to a Coco's now, you know, two and a bit and I'm actually pregnant again, like quite late in my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But in terms of managing it all, um, I think it depends on the person you are. Like me and my husband, um, we're, we're pretty good at um, a spreadsheet and mm-hmm. um, like there's been times where, you know, we've spreadsheeted out the week and like how are we going to do what we need to get through this week? And I know to a lot of people that seems crazy um, and maybe we are a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's just the way we get through the week. Um, and there's been times where, you know, you know, what we had planned will completely go off the, go out the window and there'll be, you know, more, you know, more balance of, um, of, there'll be, sorry, more time commit, committed to work than there is um, perhaps to family and then, or, you know, someone gets sick in the family and then there's no work. So I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's daily struggle or juggle, I should say, but I think it's about finding out what works for you and your family, putting up boundaries and then like protecting it fiercely. So, um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, and everyone's different. But once you understand, like, I think um, how you can kind of get that balance right in your family, I think you just need to, like, protect it fiercely. Like, for us, it's, you know, we have X amount of drop-offs for my daughter at Coco um, for daycare and, um, you know, we try and do, you know, one date night, say, once a month and things like that. So I think it's just about putting, prioritising what's important, putting it into, like us, like I said, like a spreadsheet for us <laughs> and then trying to make it that way. But it's, you know, like I said, it's a weekly juggle. Like Yeah. Completely, w- yeah. Was there any times um, where you either got frustrated with your ability to give time to the business because you were a mum or in the same light you know, felt guilty that you were working so hard. I know that that's often a juggle that or a struggle that I hear a lot of mums. It's like, I, you know, how do I, I have these goals, but I also have to be a mum, but also, and then, you know, can also go the other way of like, yeah, we're working so hard. Shit, I'm not being a bad mum. Yeah, I mean, that's been my, you know, that is me of the last month, you know, um, we're launching into Coles in, you know, 10 days, I'm 35 weeks pregnant. Um, I, you know, would have liked to have some more maternity leave and I would have liked to have spent some more time with my daughter Coco one-on-one before it, before it happens. But um, it's just played out this way that, you know, we're launching Coles and having a baby three weeks after. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the mum guilt is real. You know, I think anyone with a, you know, a child will kind of um, relate to that. Um, but, you know, you just got to like, you know, just got to um, work through that and then, you know, make sure like at the moment I'm making sure I'm dedicating days um, with my daughter more and taking time from work and we're you know, resourcing better so we can, you know, alleviate those pains that we're having at the moment. But there's, yeah, it's a, it's an ongoing struggle and I'm sure it will continue to be, you know, that ongoing mm. struggle of, you know, mum guilt. It's, it's really, mm. really hard. I'm sure yeah. anyone who's in a you know a startup business or any business, it's really hard um, to navigate mm. through that. Mm. And I think yeah, it's like it's not even really advice that you need to give. I think sometimes other mums just need to hear that we're all, you know that you're all feeling the same way, you know, and and it's a struggle. And yeah, everyone's yeah. got to figure it out themselves, I guess. But yeah, I think it's nice to validate that for other people out there. Yeah. Um, but I thank you for sharing that, by the way. Um, 
the you so you took on natural ingredients and biodegradable packaging mm-hmm. um and you know obviously started your you know created the formula or you know challenge your manufacturer to do something different what was that like for you especially during covid did you ever have moments where you're like oh you know maybe we should just chill out on the biodegradable packaging or you know it doesn't have to be that natural like you i feel like you set your bar really high um, obviously you said it was your your point of difference and, you know, I love that you've done that. But was there moments where you're just like, have we, like, aimed too high and too, like, altruistic in, in a way? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, and there was, you know, there's people along the way that will say, oh, don't worry about sustainability thing. You'll pay X more for your tube. Like, it's not worth it once you get into retail and things like that. But for me it was like I don't want to... I don't want to launch a brand that's, you know, a little bit mediocre with some values. And the sustainability one for me, it was like if it, if we can't make this product sustainable, then I'm just not even going to do the business because I just felt that was where the gaping hole was in the market. Mm. Um, like I said, people using toothpaste tubes twice, you know, it's twice a day, everything's going to landfill. Mm. Um, the natural part, you know, there's natural formulations out there. Um, I just found it so interesting though, you know, they could mm. vitamin infuse your you know, your toothpaste because um, your mouth cavity is so absorbent um, for these types of things. It was just, you know, I, mm. I can be pretty stubborn. Yeah. I was like, I've got to have that in there and I've got to have my tube sustainable, otherwise I don't want to launch. So yeah. I'm a stubborn person. So, yeah, I'm sure I made the, the, the journey a lot harder for myself, but um, I think it's a much better product than, than you know, well, it, it, you know, it's the product yeah. that I wanted to create. And I'm yeah. sure it took longer, but, you know, it was about creating a product that really resonated with us, me personally, and yeah. hopefully it would resonate with an audience as well. Yeah, and, and the reason I asked that because I kind of stitch you up there because I'm like, <laughs> you know, don't go easy, like, you know, don't aim so high. But what I, I think wanted to showcase is, and I think I read somewhere you, you came from an upbringing that was quite, I think your your father was quite big into environmental impact. And, you know, yeah. it seems to me like it's a core value of you as a person. And, you know, it, it, from my experience and, you know, what you've obviously been able to create with success is sticking to a core value and fighting for it. And, you know, if it's authentically to you as a founder, then you're going to find a way, you know? Yeah. So I grew up in a tiny um, little farming village uh, near Dalesford called Mollengip. Um, And my dad was always just really protective of the land, you know, way before he was like, a, you know, this is when I was like, you know, this is like 30 years ago. So there was way before sustainability was a trend or a term you could bid on in Google and things like that. And he was always just very protective of that land and um, in terms of, you know, um, you know, planting and, and water usage and things like that. And those values just get ingrained with you. So, um, yeah, I, I think that just, you know, came through um, to me. And, you know, when you're developing a product and, you know, anyone will know this when they open, you know, start a business, like, you know, you, it's really a bit of a mirror of your own values. Um, so to, to create a, you know, a product that was just going to create more problems with the environment. And I was like, I just wasn't interested in doing it. Um, mm. So that's, yeah, that's why we went down the sustainable route because we wanted to be, you know, proud that we were kind of championing that space in the category that had a pretty, you know, dirty environmental um, mm. reputation. Yeah, what would Dad say? <laughs> Dad looking over your shoulder. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure he's proud. He's, I'm sure he's proud that we're doing something like that. Um, he's yeah. a man of, you know, few words. So, um, yeah, but, yeah, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that yeah. he's very happy that we're, you know, champing in a, a cause um, rather than being part of the problem. 
Yeah, I love that. And I think it really shows because, you know, again, like in, you've mentioned the many roadblocks that you do come up against along this. And when you set out to a, to create a, a, something different in the marketplace, it is easy for people to be like, yeah, but, you know, like, are you sure? And if you've got it as such a core strong value, and I think anyone out there who might be looking to start a sustainable brand or, you know, buy put all of these kind of buzzwords in there right now, you've got to really back it and stand behind it and you can kind of tell when brands or the founders don't, you know, like sometimes mm. I've had a few experiences with brands over the years that are like, look at us being a sustainable thing and then you get this really shitty packaging that's got some plastic in it and it's like I feel like the standard is like, yeah, you people, are, if you're like, if you're going to say that you're this, then we're going to look for it in every sense and we'll call bullshit if you don't actually believe this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the the old internet is pretty brutal on calling you out in any respect, um, you know, um, and we've always seen sustainability as a journey. Um, so we launched Rock and we know that our tube is anything better than everything else in the supermarket, but that doesn't mean like job done. Like for us, it is the start of sustainability journey. Um, and we've had, you know, you know, people on social um, saying, you know, you know, these tubes still have issues and we're not saying we have um, a completely um, perfect tube that has no environmental impact. Of course, there is some, um, but it's a hell of a lot better than any other option in the super, supermarket aisle. Mm. Um, and this journey has really just started for us. So, you know, we've got some great um, updates this year to our packaging and in terms of our tracing our impact. So, you know, where we're starting is, you know, not where we end up. It's just the start mm. of, you know, trying to improve our products and things like that. Yeah, I love that quote, where we're starting is not where we end up because I think that's people try to enter perfectly, right? Um, and you don't know what you don't know until you start and someone calls you out on the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And people will call you out, but you know what? Yeah. It, it <laughs> makes, you know, as much as it's can be, you know, frustrating and but it's definitely makes you think more about your product and um, research more and try and find something better. And um, yeah, mm. you know, there's some of the reasons why we are, you know, implementing more things this year to, mm. um, to make ourselves better. And, you know, we want to be a, um, a business that's, you know, very, um, I've forgotten the word, very, um, you know, uh, open with our customers and things mm. like that. I think that's it, right? It's like, it, you can be like, oh, this person's calling me out. Or you can be like, cool my customers are telling me to do better. And at the end of the day, without them, I don't actually have a business. So can I just use it as feedback rather than criticism? Yeah. And there is some like, I know, you know, people say there's, you know, oh, there's all sorts on the internet, but there's some really educated people out there as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you know, if they call you out, then, you know, you've got to look into it. You know, mm-hmm. it's part of having, you know, part of saying, oh, I'm a sustainable company. And if people are calling you out, you know, you need to look into how else you can improve. That's why we mm-hmm. always say it's, you know, this is a whole journey for us as well. And we hope to take our customers on that journey as we go through it. Mm, I love that. Um, I'm interested in your launch process. So you um, did you go big with stock? And I know that you your branding is amazing. And I think in the world of Instagrammable products and curated bathroom shelves, um, it, it definitely looks good on, you know, and... I actually gifted some to friends who just moved into a new house. I was like, you're going to need How cute. <laughs> It's like the new ASOP <laughs> version, right? Because you're okay <laughs> letting it sit out on the bench. It doesn't like go everywhere. And it yeah. also, you know, there's there's a, a few tooth without slamming other brands, but there's been other toothpaste that I've done natural as well. And the, they're in the tubes. Yours stands up, which I love, because they, the liquidy, you know, yolky vibe, 
goes everywhere and the livy doesn't close properly. And anyway, <laughs> clearly I care no, about my toothbrush experience, my toothpaste experience. This is something we consider. The reason we have a, a flip top cap is one, it can stand, and yeah. two, you never lose the cap so it doesn't leak everywhere because two wants yeah. to clean up toothpaste. There's yeah. a, there is other prettier cap options out there, but mm. you know I don't want toothpaste on my bench and I don't want to lose my toothpaste cap yeah. so this is why we have the flip top cap so all those things are considered when we go into yeah. research and it's not too thick that you kind of have to kind of squeeze it out which i've also had with natural toothpastes toothpaste so it doesn't like leak you know sit around the cap. <laughs> yeah what i'm saying is you've done a great job <laughs> Thank but you. um how important and how vital do you think the branding and image of what you've created was to your launch and yeah how was that launch how did you get it out there and and build the traction and did you invest a lot in stock did you have to at the beginning what was what was your strategy yeah so um in terms of the branding um we partnered with an agency called date of birth um and when what what you see on the boxes now is the first concept they came back with so obviously briefed them on you know the values of the brand um and when we saw it we just loved it you know we love the colors we love you know how they made you know green packaging with these neon fun pop colors um just look so visual and you know and natural and sustainable um so yeah, when they presented that back to us, we were like, that was one of the points in our business. We were like, I think, I think this is, I think we're ready to go. Like this is, this is actually going to be a thing. Um, so the branding was super important to us, and we'd always said along the way, you know, if we're going up against these major traditional toothpaste companies, we want to, we want to look different, we want to sound different. Um, and you know, I'm a pretty proud person in terms of how my house looks, um, you know, and, you know, all my friends have thank you or Aesop's open their benches. So how the products looked on the bench was really, really important to me and I love, um, I kind of love that kind of aesthetic in a bathroom and, you know, mm. anything in the house. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the branding was super important and I think that really played into when we launched. Um, yeah, it just does kind of cut through on Instagram, I think, and, you know, it's definitely not um, – a minimalist kind of brand, which is kind of actually what we envisaged at the start. You know, it's pretty bold and colourful and out there, but it, it works in its own way. Um, so mm. I think it was really important. Um, it was, I think it was a real success point of our, um, of our brand when we launched. Mm. I think um, there's two things just quickly and that is yeah. like, you know, people often be like, oh, should I just get, you know, a logo on Fiverr or I'll make one on Canva, which, you know, fair enough, sometimes that's the time, you know, there's a time and place for that and if you really do need to get in the market. But I think when you're launching a product that is, yeah, that you want people to buy and stick with, um, you know, that when you said, oh, that was a turning point where we're like, oh, we're ready to go. And I've always, I felt that too when I paid for my first branding package, which was, you know, very early on in my business, I felt professional. I felt ready. I was like, okay, yeah. this is speaking what I'm is in my head. And now, you know, I can take it to market. And then I think, you know, it, it does the work for you in a lot of senses. Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. And it just, it, it is that visual communication point between you and the customer and they, they kind of, you know, get it. And um, it's funny because we, you know, we, we brief the agency on like, you know, if we're, if we're sitting there, 
in a supermarket shelf next to, you know, these big players, like we want to look different. And it's funny that in, in 10 days where our boxes are going in um, and it will look completely different. You know, it's a, it's a sea of white or blue or red. And then there's, you know, green and pinks and blues and yellows and, um, yeah, so, and, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that it comes all three, um, kind of um, full 360 on it. Mm. I love that. And then tell us about the, the yeah, the, that first order and, and you know, ship, getting it out to your customers. What was yeah. your plan around that? So, um, so it was kind of the, um, we kind of had to go with the approach of kind of go big or go home, our manufacturer, who we partnered with, who we loved and had heaps of experience. Um, their minimum order quantity was 10,000 units per SKU. Um, so this is not like, you know, 500 or a thousand, like this is, you know, we had two SKUs, that's 20,000 units. So we were just like, we kind of just betted on it big time. Um, we really believed in it. We thought the concept was great. You know, we knew we were the only sustainable player out there. We knew we were the only ones with a V, you know, vitamin B12 toothpaste. So, um, yeah, our minimum order quantity was 20,000 units, which is, you know, massive, um, and not accessible to everyone, you know, we're, we're privately funded. So we, we could do that. Fortunately, we're in a place to be able to place that order. Um, mm. So, yeah, we just kind of like put a bet on it and was like, yeah. let's hope this turns out. Mm. Um, the good thing about toothpaste uh, um, is that or our toothpaste is, has a shelf life for three years. So mm. when you had three years to, you know, if everything mm-hmm. sour, I had three years to really hustle and get rid of my stock. Um, yeah. Everybody's <laughs> presence. <laughs> yeah, so that was um, exactly. Otherwise, everyone's getting toothpaste for the next, yeah. you know, everyone yeah. I know is getting a card and a toothpaste for Christmas and birthday. For every and occasion. Engagement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it made a scary placing an order like that, but. I was going to ask that, yeah. and do you remember that feeling? And did you have, you know, obviously you're, I think you mentioned you were married with kids and, yeah. you know, is, what was there a serious conversation where you're just like, are we sure we're doing this? Like what was that kind of tipping point if you remember, you know, it comes to, was it a comfortable level of risk or were you just like, do we have a backup plan or, yeah. Um, yeah, like, uh, so my, my husband's in the business as well. Like he has a full-time job and, and things like that. So, you know, he's in and out of the business. But he's probably the one that's, you know, a little bit more, um, I'm probably a bit more, like, concerned about risk where he's just like, well, if you're going to have a go at this, you've got to have a go. So mm. um, that was kind of the approach. And I was like, oh, I was quite nervous. But, you know, we both had kind of agreed that, you know, we're happy to sink a bit of money into this to see if it goes anywhere. And for does, mm. we'll, you know, we cut our losses. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a scary moment, you know, placing you know that order. But um, yeah, it just um, uh, makes you work that, really hard to try and make it work, you know, when when the stock comes through. Yeah, that's a great point, and I've heard this many of times in podcasts. Like I remember chatting to the guys from Offends who were just like borrowed a hundred k from family, when, you know, <laughs> in a Byron Bay, you know. Um, backyard shed thing yeah um and it's like I think it's different for everyone because I think you know often people ask for like you know what how much should I be spending but it's like finding that level of risk that you're willing to take that's not going to cripple you yeah that's right and um yeah it's it's scary yeah Mm. yeah it is but is that yeah it is different for everyone and um yeah it depends on you know you're obviously your own personal situation and things like that but yeah Mm. it's um yeah, it's a scary place to be, but, yeah. you know, hopefully it pays off and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah we'll see. <laughs> I 
And um, so when was this? When did your order arrive and did you have a warehouse? Like I remember when I ordered my first set of magazines, like, yeah, I'm going to start a magazine and they all turned up on my on my doorstep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, where am I going to put them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I we- think your spreadsheet probably worked that out <laughs> before I did. Uh, look, we rely on our friends and our family a lot. I'm, I'm not saying that we have. So we have twenty. We had 20,000 units land and a friend had a warehouse and we're like, can we store all of our toothpaste out of your warehouse, please? Um, we haven't sold any yet. We don't have any retail partners. So um, big, don't know how fast it's going to leave the warehouse. But, yeah, so, I mean, you know, part of this process of being a founder and a startup and trying new businesses that you're fortunately, you know, well, we are like, you know, surrounded by people that are like, yes, go and do that. Like, you know, and really supportive and happy to help out, you know, and whatever respects they can. And it just so happened that we had a friend in Melbourne with a warehouse that had some spare space and um, the stock went there. So we didn't have to house it or pay for it because 20,000 units of toothpaste does not fit in my garage. Yeah. (laughs) absolutely no I love that and I think yeah it's like yeah pulling on pulling on favors when you start out right yeah absolutely Um, yeah no shame in that and so did you go through like a direct to market you know obviously push to begin with and then how much energy were you putting into landing your retail partners and yeah yeah so we launched on our website and look, it was one of those things where, you know, we felt the concept was good. We felt the product was good. We felt the branding was good. And, you know, everyone we spoke to was, you know, really positive about it. Um, but, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen when we launched essentially. So, you know, we launched and obviously all of our friends and family bought it and there was, you know, orders from people we didn't know, which was obviously super exciting. Um, and then, you know, my strategy was always to, you um, just try and find retail partners, um, you know, throughout Australia, um, which was hard in some respects because we launched in May and I think Melbourne retail shut down in June or July. So, mm-hmm. you know, and Sydney as well. So, um, you know, there's some pretty big retail markets that were kind of out the door. But I just, you know, would cold email or pitch or um, call businesses that I thought would be a good fit for Rock. Um, and fortunately, a lot of them were like, yeah, for sure, we'll try it. Um, you know, they loved one element of it, whether it was, you know, the natural part or the sustainability part or the packaging. Um, and we've got some amazing retail partners, you know, we're in the Khalil Hotel in Brisbane and Sense of Self in Bathhouse in Melbourne and Nimbus in Byron Bay. Like we're really fortunate to have these great kind of mm. um, retailers support us along the way. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's, but it was just, it was all just, you know, I don't have a sales manager it's just me finding, you know, brands mm. I think we would align with well and just hitting them up and there's heaps of no's along the way, but that's all part of the process. Yeah, and I think like listening to those, you know, retail partners with the hotels and, you know, the bathhouses and stuff, it actually goes to show where the brand, that well thought out research phase, finding that really clear point of difference, sticking to your brand values and backing them fully and then investing in like that that product, you know, um, branding and image. It's like that all of that stuff that people can like cheap out on or miss or, you know, kind of, we, uh, I guess, um, what's the word, like weaken a little bit. But I look at those partners, retail partners, and I'm like, yeah, because they hold those values as well, right? So then when you're pitching to those similar brands or, or retail partners, they're like, yeah, that's what we stand for and that looks good next to our stuff. And so it all kind of pays off in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the diversity of stores that Rock is stocked in at the moment, so like I said, we have like, you know, luxury hotels, 
to bathhouses. We're in like um, naturopathy clinics because of the the vitamin infusion. We're in uh, you know IGAs because they want to support local. Um, there's this whole spectrum of stores that we're stocked in, and it goes to show like how many kind of different points of points of difference mm-hmm. are in is in rock. But mm-hmm. I still think a lot of the places, you know, we're in you know fashion houses down in Flinders. Um, in Victoria, like they, they love the packaging. It looks pretty. It looks great on shelf. So that's always mm. been one thing that's really driven home um, mm. the conversion of yes, I think for us. Like people love that sustainable. They love the vitamin enrichment. But for a retailer, it's got to look great on the shelf as well for people mm. to pick it up and take it. Yeah, and I think that's it, right? Is like you have all of those different points of difference and and why, why you stand out, and then you pitch them to the relevant ones. So yeah, it's good to diversify that as well. I think. Um, I love that. And so tell us then about that scaling process and you're about to go into Coles, which from people I've spoken to over the years who have gotten stockers, A, that quickly and B, that large, um, it's, it's pretty A, hard to do, right? And, um, like there, there's quite, you know, you all of a sudden, you know, wheeling and dealing with these big corporates, huge, like numbers, right? Of stock, like what is yeah. that? How has that jumping? Because what what was the timeline from I've launched a website and friends and family <laughs> buying it to like a hundred and something stores? Is it? Uh, yeah. So so we launched in May and we started having discussions with Coles in um, October. Um, and yeah, I mean, we had always you know our price point is um, we'd always a price point is ten dollars, which is kind of the higher end of the supermarkets, but it's definitely not you know, premium um, toothpaste, which is kind of sits around that 15 to 20. Um, we knew that um, that 8% of people were buying their toothpaste in supermarket and um, we didn't think Australia was, you know, the market was ready to buy toothpaste online um, mm. at the moment, um, not, you know, especially with a, for a $10 product and $7.50 being like it's a bit of a, no one wants to pay for shipping, but especially on a $10 product, it's a really hard sell, we thought. Um, I mean, we've got some, you know, some much better options in terms of subscription, but for those kind of like ad hoc, you know, toothpaste is still very much like a, a product that isn't consciously thought of um, like your, you know, your face masks or your facial oils might be and things like that. Mm. So we always had kind of angled like, you know, we see this sitting in a supermarket. That's where we can also make the most impact. And that's where, you know, I really discovered the problem of, you know, of toothpaste is that everything in the aisles were you know, going straight to landfill. So we started the discussions in October. Again, we had to hedge our bets. That was <laughs> last year, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Twenty. Yeah. yeah. Twenty twenty one. So we had to right. hedge our bets that coals were going to take us. I mean, mm. the conversations were going well, but you know, let's be honest, we're talking to a major retailer, so mm. you know, it can go anywhere at any time. So mm. we had to hedge our bets. We put a huge order in for stock. Um, <laughs> God, it was big. Um, oh. And fortunately, they came back. They're like. Yeah, we're going to stock you all three SKUs because wow. we've just launched a new one in all stores in Australia. And we were like, we finally stopped sweating because we've been sweating for about four months on the stock. <laughs> um, oh yeah, so, I mean, no one was more surprised than us, I would say. Um, so did you have to have it ready to go as soon as they said yes? Yeah, so they told us in December that it's going ahead and then, it's mm. you know, it needs to be in store, you know, landing their DCs in February. I mean, our production timeframe and COVID shipping, like, it's five months. So there was no way we oh could just, God. like, wait for them to say yes. And we obviously, because we're a new business, you know, we're 10 months old, I didn't have a stockpile of yeah. products I could give them um, mm-hmm. to get us through. So, again, it was just like, oh, seems like a good opportunity. I guess we better 
you know, wow. um, put the put the order on the ship and hope for the best. And fortunately, yeah. fortunately, it's worked out. And do you just ship it straight to them? Is that how it works? Or you just be like, here you go, take it. Well, we've we've really matured. We've um we've got our own three PL these days instead of our friend's warehouse. Oh, nice. Um, I don't know if he's got enough space for um the amount we've ordered for Coles anyway. Mm-hmm. So um we have our own three PL, so it goes to them. And then uh, today it's been shipped out um to the, to the uh, there's three DCs that um that Coles wow. use, and it's being shipped to the Melbourne DC today. Congratulations. That is Thank huge. You. Yeah. Like, um, I've known the ins and outs of a few different brands who've, who've gone to stock is that big and it's no easy feat. And yeah, it's really, it's a real big difference from like, yeah, shipping from your warehouse to, you know, meeting standards and needs wow. and knowing lots of different in back end stuff. So massive. yeah, it, it's, it's a process. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. There's lots of, lots of learning curves along the way when you're, you know, when you're dealing with with these retailers in terms of you know just like the invoicing process and the stock yeah getting to stock barcoding boxes like it's yeah. it's a process so it takes is a while there, um is there an expert and tell me if this is too much i'm just really intrigued by it yeah um is there an do they do they give you how long they'll stop you or is it kind of like you know they could drop you at any moment i mean that's a savage thing to say when you're not even <laughs> in there but do you mean like if like do you get a trajectory of what you think you know or do you just of how long or what yeah what's I mean if that's yeah, okay. so, yeah yeah of course so there's um there is uh, like a, there's a certain sales per unit rate we you know mm-hmm. we'd like to reach and ex- obviously exceed per week per store um and then um there's um like hurdle rates that you know you, your brand needs to get through um and yeah obviously if you don't meet those kind of rates you can be dropped but our agreement mm-hmm. at the moment is for 12 months exclusivity to Coles amazing it's it's absolutely huge like Thank you. wild yeah. in less than a year less than a year well yeah we've oh, we launched two months ago so yeah less than a year yeah great hustle well done Thank you. and Thank i'm you. so excited and do you know what i love most about it is like this passion and the seeing the problem with toothpaste and the landfill I think it's all well and good. And I think this is what brands have so much power to do is if you do it well, like being in Coles is exactly where you need to be because, you know, there's only if somebody going sustainable toothpaste is Googling that, right? Whereas, yeah. you know, you maybe you get the the person who's never thought about sustainability or vitamins or anything, but they pick it up because it looks beautiful and all of a sudden they're making a better choice for the environment or they never knew there was an alternative to the plastic things. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I think in terms of actually doing good for the planet too, you have to be there with the masses, you know, and, and help pe- educate people who don't yet know about it. Yeah, and as we spoke about earlier, the, <clears throat> the other important thing is they do pick it up and try it and take it home because it looks pretty or they want the vitamin B12 or it's sustainable or whatever reason. I feel like um, the vitamin B12 is definitely, <laughs> it's like this could be a drinking game for those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, know, um, you know, when they get it home and, and they use it, you know, I've had some friends yeah. comment that you know, their husband still, they continue using rock because it just tastes like their normal toothpaste. Yeah. So that's why the product experience is also always so important because if they get it home and it tastes like watermelon, they hate the taste, then, you know, mm. it's never, they're just going to convert back. So that's why, you know, we, we spent so long in that product development phase and there were so many samples that went back and forth mm. um, to make sure that it tastes as we thought it should, which is, you know, mimicking the, the, the taste of a mainstream because most people have been brushing with the same toothpaste for, you know, 20 or 30 years. So they're mm. probably not going to want to switch to watermelon or, you know, something like that. 
Except for when I was a kid and every now and again as a real treat, we were allowed to get the sparkle toothpaste. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Probably horrible. But <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I think it was like, <laughs> um, But what was I going to say? That I think I, what I also love about that too is like when you know, when you've done enough work, you know, and I feel that with, you know, my coaching or speaking gigs now is my product, but it's like when, yeah, you've done enough work to refine it, you know that, you know, getting in front of your customer, that the work, the product will do its, do the work for itself, you know, and it's like, that's, it's all, again, the marketing strategy. It's like easier to market and retain customers when you've created something, you spend enough time creating something great. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're confident that, you know, um, our biggest challenge will always be, you know, converting products to try, sorry, mm. converting people to try rock. Um, once we've got them trying uh, and, our, you know, our e-coms site in the data that you'll see shows us that, you know, repeat purchase isn't the problem. It's just it's trying to get people to convert to a new brand of toothpaste. You know, we've got mm. a lot of repeat customers because they're happy with the experience. They feel good about, you know, buying sustainably and they like, you know, the natural formulation is less toxic. Mm. Um, so it's for us it will always be about that that trial phase that will be mm. um, the biggest kind of barrier for us, I think. Yeah, amazing. Hey, and I've got one final question because I read that you set your alarm for the crack of dawn and as a fellow morning person who loves a routine, uh, I would love to hear how you start your day to set yourself up to be a mum of nearly two and you've got two and a, you know, huge business. Um, Yeah, tell us how you start your day. What's your morning routine and, and hack for success? Yeah, so I mean, um, I mean, it's changed a bit with COVID and everything, obviously. But I mean, it's also somewhat maintained the same. So um, I guess you know, it's kind of generally at six a.m. I get up and I just try and move in some respects, whether that's some some yoga flows in the garage, or I've got a treadmill and a spin bike in the garage, or um, you know, obviously the gyms were closed during COVID, so there's no kind of actual you know weights or anything like that. But it's just some sort of movement. In the morning before my daughter gets up at, at seven, really, um, you know, um, while also having an espresso. Um, at the moment, mm-hmm. like I said, I'm kind of 35 weeks pregnant. So I'm generally up about kind of 4 a.m. because of pregnancy insomnia. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a little bit earlier, but um, yeah, um, and I'm sure, you know, after we have the baby, there'll be a phase of not much exercise because I would have might have been up all night. But yeah, for me, I mean, exercise, you know, before I had kids was always super critical to get my brain going. Um, and I don't do as much since having kids, um, but that's all about the balance of being a parent and that's okay. And um, me and my husband are, are pretty supportive of each other and trying to make sure someone mm. gets up in the morning and does something that, um, you know, make them feel good and energised for the rest mm. of the day because, you know, once 7am hits, it's generally pretty and the kids are up. Mm, it's kind of, it's pretty pretty chaotic until 7pm mm. when they, hopefully they go down. All my siblings have kids and I know that I can't call between like 5 a.m. and 9 and then like <laughs> 3 and 7. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I have one final sneaky question that I'm going to sure. slip in there because when you said for I actually woke up at 4.30 this morning and it wasn't because I wanted to or thought that I was being a productive person because my brain was racing with all the things that I had to get done. Mm. And um, I put a meditation on actually and then, you know, by 5 o'clock I was out of bed and working trying to, get everything done but um how do you wind down and do you ever you know obviously you would have so many moving pieces in your business and you know those those nights when you're like <laughs> placing an order for coals without <laughs> having a deal what it maybe what's also like a, if you've got some tips or what's your process for winding down and shutting off your brain because you know 
I get it a lot, actually. I get it personally, but clients as well. It's like you never stop thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. And I think um, I've been like a, you know, a trialer of, of loads of things along the way. So in terms of, you know, exercise, I try a bunch of things. And the same with kind of winding down. And I've got a few good apps, you know, on those nights where my mind are racing, mind's racing and I've woken up because I'm pregnant, pregnancy insomnia. I've got a few couple of apps that I use. So Headspace is one, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another one called Waking Up. Um, nice. which is also really good. Um, so I kind of use both of them to to kind of do some meditation. Um, last year I was doing kind of a lot more meditation at the times where I was more stressed out, I would say, um, during the day trying to take, you know, you know, before lunch, taking 10 minutes to do some daily meditation and things like that. But it goes in ebbs and flows for me um, yeah. with meditation and things like that. But I just, you know, try and incorporate when I can if there's times when I can't but um, I've definitely got some tools in there that I can kind of mm. lean on to help out with those things fortunately I'm a pretty good sleeper um, mm. when I'm not pregnant um, mm-hmm. but yeah I think those apps are, are really are really helpful um, mm. for those nights that are when your mind is particularly racing and things like mm. that um, I also have yeah. a grat- gratitude journal which I really like mm. yeah um, it's a really nice way to start and end the day as well um, it yeah. takes about two minutes to do um it's yeah. just a, a nice way of doing and then obviously the other tip is just keeping your phone as far away as you, you can <laughs> and at night up and emails. <laughs> yeah and sometimes you know like with emails like I just turn off my my work account at 7 p.m yeah. and I don't look at it again until you know yeah I was gonna say that do you have a shut off time yeah yeah okay. that's one of the bigger ones and also on some weekends where if it's been a particularly hectic week and you know let's mum guilt has been creeping in and things like that then I'll just turn off my emails for the whole mm. weekend and just like just turn it off yeah. um, and just focus on family time and friends and things like that. Yeah. And it makes a, yeah. it makes a huge difference, I think, turning emails off. Right. It's like it's it's like unplugging the TV or computer when it doesn't work and it's like, great, thanks for the break. Like I can actually restart now. Like I, I was actually saying this to a client this morning. It's like if when I'm a couple of days ago, you felt like I was at 20% and I cancelled a day of meetings or, or postponed them, moved them to Thursday. And um was like if I try and operate from 20%, I'm going to be negative 20% by yep. Thursday, whereas yep. if I take Tuesday, Wednesday off, and then Thursday morning I woke up and I was like, you know, beaming with energy and had the most productive day and just, you know, and I think when you when you actually shut your mind down properly, it can actually reboot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, I kind of spoke about earlier about setting up boundaries in terms of um, in terms of juggling you know, life. And I think putting up those boundaries and, you know, knowing um, when to kind of to pull that lever and going, okay, you know, my, I mean, I'm in this place and I know if I turn off my emails or if I do this, or I do that, then I'll, you know, completely refresh. I think it's really important mm-hmm. to understand which levers to pull when to rebalance yeah. or recalibrate yourself for the week ahead or whatever it might be. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing so much detail and insight and a huge congratulations on everything that you've achieved in unprecedented times. <laughs> um, and look forward to seeing you in Coles next yeah, week. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. From now. That's it. Top shelf. We'll be there. Amazing. <laughs> we'll be sure to keep an eye out. Thanks so much, Fruit. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the Startup Creative Podcast. If you get a chance, head to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get notified every time there's a new podcast up. See you next week. Hold up. 